Hello, Dylan from None Dare Call It Ordinary here with a correction right up top. In this episode, we discuss the Prison Policy Initiative's recent report titled Mass Incarceration, The Whole Pie 2019. However, I repeatedly refer to the organization as the Prison Policy Institute, so I apologize for that. And you can find them at prisonpolicy.org. And now, on to the episode. Welcome to None Dare Call It Ordinary, the podcast that digs into the unusual, unorthodox, and downright unsettling beliefs found at the depths of the internet and the heights of paranoia. I'm your host, Dylan, and with me is the cerebral forest and chthonic Brent. Ooh. Ooh. Well, gave me a pretty good one today. I'll take it. Yeah. Yep. yep. What's mine? What's mine mean? So chthonic means deep and mysterious yeah. coming oh. from the underworld. <laughs> oh. That's true. It is true. That's why I gave yep. it to you. I live underground. Yeah. Yep. Ever since like all you the other lizard people. Christ, Brent. <laughs> oh. Well, as we as I believe we all know, aliens don't have souls, and so they can't be saved because they're not descendants of Adam. That's true. And we all know that Brent is, in fact, a lizard person and they live in the hollow earth. That's right. Yeah, there's really nothing we could do. I mean, I I can't blame you for not being a uh, Christian any longer for that reason. Yeah. Sorry about it. So what are we? So we got something to celebrate today on this episode, don't we? Yeah, we do. So April 5th, which was only two days ago today, was our one year anniversary. Can you believe it? An entire year of listening to us talk about how the Pope isn't a Pope yeah. and how crystals can cure your cancer and not true. How you don't even have to eat anymore. It's how to it's build incredible. a UFO. Yeah. How to build a UFO. Exactly. It's been a heck of a year. <laughs> if I do say so myself, we've had some ups and downs. We had a good five, six month chunk where I think we were releasing an episode a month, yeah, give or take, yes. <laughs> just because I was, that's when I was killing bugs, and I imagine all the pesticides were and the, the heat stroke was just melting my brain. You got rid of AIDS, too, during that time, if you remember, with your spring. Got rid of what now? AIDS. Mosquitoes. You were killing mosquitoes, yeah. therefore getting rid of AIDS, oh, that's, as Lyndon oh, LaRouche put it. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so good for you. And we we advertise that to people, you know, well, you know, no malaria, no AIDS, no herpes, get rid of all <laughs> of it in one go. And because of this special occasion, because we are now well into our second year as a podcast, we decided to have a little contest Ooh. between the uh, hosts here to see who could be the biggest social media sellout. Ooh. And we are calling it. The none dare call it ordinary social media hegemony challenge. Can you feel it? Are you excited? Yes. And the way this is going to work is as we have gone over before, we are a neocon podcast. We are definitely we're shills for the center for the new American century. We're just true. Yep. Big David project Trump. for a new American century project for <laughs> a new American century. Oh, PNAC. I can't even be a good neocon. It's terrible. <laughs> And we're the official podcast of the Weekly Standard. We've talked about this in depth previously. So we've decided that we're going to wage preemptive war against each other in the quest for digital (laughs) real estate. 
And so this is how this challenge is going to work. Forrest is going to be in charge of the YouTube channel. Brent will be in charge of our Instagram account. And I, Dylan, will be in charge of Twitter. Nice. So as of right now, we have 24 YouTube subscribers, 114 Instagram followers, and 325 Twitter followers. So this is how the challenge is going to work. Whoever can score an additional 1,000 subscribers or followers is going to win the challenge, and they're awarded the John Bolton Gold Star Award for Total World Domination. Yeah, and, <laughs> and just for clarification, it is a sheriff star. But oh, yeah. as we mentioned before, you know, all sheriffs are Zionists, so it's sort of a self-defeating point there, but that's fine. John Bolton is one of the few so-called neocons that is not a Zionist. Oh, oh but anyway. No oh, so we might have to pick a whole different shape for him. <laughs> I'm sorry. To, yeah, the Paul Wolfowitz Gold Star Award, I think, is the <laughs> oh. one to go with. No, we'll call it John Bolton because he's the most world domination-y. Yeah. World dominator. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Whoever comes in second place gets the Nicholas Maduro Silver Star Award for being defeated, but still kicking. <laughs> <laughs> and whoever gets third place is shamefully awarded the Saddam Hussein Bronze Star Award for being a total loser. Oh, and so nice. I know none of us wants that. No, so I do not. No. For everyone no. out there, pick your favorite co-host and be sure if you if you're in Team Forest, you want to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Mm. Team Brent, you want to go to Instagram and Team Dylan, the obvious choice, <laughs> you want to go subscribe to our Twitter account all of which can be found on nondarecallitordinary.com. Nice, nice. And also, uh, before we get into our episode itself, we want to remind everyone, if you could please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Spotify or however you listen to podcasts. And as an additional favor for us, if you could recommend us to five friends yes. and let them know about the podcast and all of the quote unquote knowledge you've received while listening again, we would greatly appreciate it. We've already been through so much as you've, you've talked about, we went through yep. the book of revelations. We've talked about alt Catholicism, the Breatharianism cult. Um, we even talked about uh, Pete Hegseth throwing an ax at a drummer. So that was fun. Yep. Um, Loch Ness monster, so many things. So what are we talking about now that we're done with all of that? So today we are talking about a report that just came out early in March, and it's by the Prison Policy Institute, hmm. and it's called The Five Myths of Mass Incarceration. And it's a very interesting report. Uh, they do very good work at the Prison Policy Institute. I would highly recommend it. We will definitely have a link to that on our website and probably all the rest of our social media profiles as well. And I thought... It would be good to go into these five myths because I have at some point in my life believed a lot of them. Yes. And so I think the unordinary idea that we're talking about here is that these myths are, in fact, myths. Mm -hmm. And this might be the first time we've talked about an unordinary idea that happens to be true. <laughs> so this is definitely a change of pace for us. But, you know, it's good. Oh, wait. Not all you mean, the you ordinary that, ideas are true. You mean that Lyndon LaRouge series we did? None of that was true that he said? I would guess that no claim he ever made was true. Oh, that's probably a safe bet to make. That's definitely the safe bet. Yeah, I and I also built a UFO, so that may be also something we... That that's a real claim, well. man. You know, that's, that's okay. So that's a good point. Yeah. But so I anyway, haven't, yeah. uh, we haven't peer reviewed your work yet. So sure. I don't want to, <laughs> I'm not as confident that's a good point. in that. 
All right, so let's dig into this. So let's get a, an overview first about the state of mass incarceration in the United States. Right now, on any given day, there are about 2.3 million incarcerated Americans. This includes those both convicted of crimes and those who are awaiting trial. So given a population of about 327 million, that amounts to over half of 1% of the entire American population is incarcerated. Okay, so the one percenters aren't just the uber-rich in America that Bernie's talking about. No, no, no. Hey, except for the mob bosses still running their operations from prison. It was beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not... Unfortunately, as you know, we're going to discuss the overlap between this 1% and the typical 1%. uh, Yeah, there's not much of an overlap there. But in addition to the 2.3 million incarcerated Americans, there are also 840,000 Americans on parole and 3.6 million Americans are on probation, which is a total of nearly 7 million Americans or 2% of the population that the criminal justice system is keeping track of in the United States. So let's take a breakdown about where these folks are incarcerated. 1,306,000 are in state prisons, 612,000 are in local jails, 221,000 are in federal prisons and jails, 61,000 are in immigration detention, 46,000 are in juvenile detention facilities, and as we'll discuss, that doesn't mean that there are only 46,000 incarcerated youth, It just means that only 46,000 are in the juvenile detention facilities, which is a specific part of the criminal justice system. 22,000 are involuntarily committed, and we're going to clarify what that means below. Good, because I'm thinking no one chooses to be in prison, right? Except maybe MacGyver. Oh. That's um, a very current TV show reference for the children listening. Yes, that's an old reference for us. The kids love MacGyver. Yeah, he just opened up a new TikTok account, and so all the kids are talking about (laughs) MacGyver. But yeah, but this is actually so strangely enough, Brent, I take your point, but there is a there's an involuntary commitment branch of the criminal justice system, even though these are all involuntary. But yeah, we'll get into exactly what that means later. Okay. so continuing on with this list, 11,000 are in territorial prisons, 2,500 are in Indian country jails. And yes, that is the official (laughs) title for people who are in Indian (laughs) reservation jails. I thought that was a very bizarre phrase for that but that's uh, what it is oh yeah i was like is that a prison for just like native americans only i didn't i think it's where people go if they don't appreciate the fact that andrew jackson destroyed the second central bank of the united states <laughs> i mean if you can't just <laughs> love the man for that you deserve to go to prison quite frankly yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and you know and as you know dylan has said before in the podcast there are fine people on both sides of the trail oh, of tears yeah Oof. so we need to but keep not that the in people mind. actually on the trail of tears oh <laughs> no <laughs> These are some hot takes. (laughs) And then lastly, 1,300 are in military facilities. And so that's the breakdown of all the incarcerated Americans. And one town drunk is in the Mayberry jail cell. Ooh. (laughs) So that's another modern reference for the kids. (laughs) The Andy Griffith Show. So aside from just this large group of Americans that are are behind bars or awaiting trial. This doesn't capture the enormous churn, which is the phrase used by the Prison Policy Institute in the criminal justice system. Every year, 600,000 people enter prison, but 10.6 million people enter jails. Hmm. Most people in jail are awaiting trial, 540,000 people to be exact. That is nearly a quarter of the total incarcerated population. 
Some make bail within a few hours or days, but many must remain in jail because our system is inhumane and treats people who are poor differently than those who are not. Oh, like Ernest P. Worrell. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Ernest jail was especially inhumane with all the tacky purple and pink lights everywhere. You remember that? It's terrible. Oh, man. It's <laughs> disgusting. I actually don't, I don't really remember that film. I do remember the part. The only thing I remember is he gets like electrocuted right in the electric chair and he starts yeah. shooting everybody with lightning to get out of <laughs> yeah. jail, which I assume happens. He develops a lot. Emperor Palpatine powers. <laughs> 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 only less than 150,000 people are convicted a day, often with sentences less than one year. So the incarcerated population is not static, I think is the main thing to recognize that people are constantly going in and out of it. So looking, we're going to start, before we get into the myths, we're going to look at some of these smaller slices and clarifying some of the uh, categories we mentioned earlier, specifically looking at youth, immigration, and involuntary commitments. So confined youth amount to 63,000 incarcerated individuals. I'm assuming those youths are the kind that bring their guns to Beethoven NCLC yes. lectures? Yes, um, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's the type of youth that drink Carava milk. So basically. Carava. I say Carava. You say Carova. Well, you say Carava, I say Carova. You know, who knows? It's the Carova milk ball, my droogies. <laughs> and 8,100 of these confined youths are held for, quote, technical violations, which means violating probation, but not due to committing new crimes by, for example, breaking curfew, not paying fees, etc. Oh, thank you for clearing that up. I thought it was basketball players that were imprisoned for committing technical fouls. I was like, the NBA has gotten really strict. <laughs> no. no. Okay. No, 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 no. That would be unfair and unwise. Does Brent have an NBA reference in every episode? Everyone. Hoop stress. Uh, yes. Yes. Hoop stress. Yes. Someone, someone on this podcast has to do it. So my dad thinks that there's something valuable that I'm sports doing. Fan that and I appreciate Brent for doing that. Yes. <laughs> 2,200 confined youth are held for offenses, which are not even crimes. Ooh. These are called status offenses and include running away, truancy, and something which is called either incorrigibility or ungovernability. <laughs> but I couldn't find exactly what those terms meant. Ooh. So running away, like kids running away from home? No, no, Brent. No, no, no. These oh. are the Kafka-esque rules in the justice system that Lyndon LaRouge warned us about. Oh, that's true. Okay, okay yeah, because I assumed it was running away from home, but that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. So 5,000 of these confined youths, which is nearly one in 10, are held in adult facilities. Hmm, featuring adult entertainment? Mm, well, I mean, I guess you could say that if you wanted to, <laughs> oh, but not the fun kind of adult <laughs> entertainment. 12,000 are children in the immigration system, refugees waiting to be placed with family or friends. This amounts to over one fifth of those incarcerated for immigration offenses, which totals 61,000. Now onto the this involuntary commitment category. What does this mean? It has to do with people committed for psychiatric reasons. Mm -hmm. So they're involuntarily detained or committed to state psychiatric hospitals. Out of the 22,000, 9,000 have not even been convicted yet, but are rather being evaluated to stand trial. 6,000 have been found not guilty by reason of insanity or guilty, but mentally ill. Which we'll soon find out in a future series isn't a real thing. Whoa. Um, giving it away. A bit of foreshadowing. And sometimes when it isn't a real thing, it's because it is a real thing. Because once <laughs> when suffering extreme health anxiety and stuck in an obsessive compulsive loop, I thought I was developing schizophrenia. So it wasn't in my head that it was all in my head. Wow. Whoa. That is <laughs> that is deep. Y'all deep. 
And the remaining 6,000 involuntarily committed Americans have been detained after prison sentences for sexual crimes indefinitely. So this was something that I was not aware of. Apparently, they go to prison for committing some kind of sexual offense. They serve their time, but after they leave, they're involuntarily committed to a state psychiatric hospital. Mm. So that's a thing that can happen. Okay, now with all that stage setting out of the way, let's get into the myths. Myth one, we can end mass incarceration by releasing nonviolent drug offenders. This is a pretty common view a lot of people have. Uh, A lot of people talking about how to reform the criminal justice system bring this up often. But only 451,000 people are incarcerated for nonviolent drug offenses. And every year there are over 1 million drug possession arrests. If only they would have watched Cartoon All-Stars, another modern reference. Yeah, maybe if they got into Dare, you know, that would have that would have helped them out, but Nancy Reagan. Sadly, that wasn't the Come case. On, guys. Yeah. Listen Just to her. say no. That is a very effective strategy and it's it's worked every time. <laughs> While just under half a million people is still too many, that only amounts to one fifth of the total incarcerated population. More troubling is the worst myth, I think, that legalizing marijuana possession alone will reduce mass Mm. incarceration. But this is an even worse view, because in the best case scenario, less than half of all nonviolent drug offenses are all kinds of drug possession. Mm. The other kind of nonviolent drug offenses would be trafficking, for example, would be selling, distributing. And I got this figure, the federal drug offenses from the uh, Prison Policy Institute report are not broken down. And so I just added all federal drug offenses Mm. to make this calculation, uh, which is clearly not the case. Those aren't all possession cases. But so even in the best case scenario, there's only about 200, 225,000 people incarcerated for nonviolent drug possession. Specifically weed. Not even just, no, not even just weed. This is all drugs. Okay. And so there's an even smaller chunk of that Mm -hmm. that are in for marijuana possession. And so, again, that is definitely not going to make a big dent into the mass incarceration problem. Yeah, and I would actually like to see the breakdown of the for each drug, too, like specifically, yeah. but I don't know if that's I looked around. I didn't see it. Yeah, that particular report didn't divulge that if any of our listeners know or can point us in the right direction, that mm-hmm. would be great. I think there won't be true justice until all the people arrested on the show cops are released. Ooh, I think that's yeah. the, main, the main thing we I mean, you know, trying to get ratings from idiocracy is a far worse crime than smoking marijuana or possessing it. I yeah, that's, yeah, that's absolutely. Opinion, absolutely. Yeah, that's just my opinion. All right. Myth two, private prisons are responsible for mass incarceration. This is another very common claim people make about reforming the criminal justice system is that we need to get rid of private prisons. And that might be so, but only 8% of the incarcerated population are in private prisons. I mean, I, I did notice when I was in Walmart recently, the Walmart's prison section, which is right next to the gardening section the other day. It's kind of ridiculous. I mean, that is true. They're really... Uh, it's there. Uh, excuse me. Att- attention, prisoners. Be sure to ask about our Membership for Life program, where you're locked in for all the great benefits <laughs> that come with prison life. Thank you. <laughs> Man. Walmart prison. <laughs> We've got a blood spill cleanup on aisle five. It's one thing to work <laughs> at Walmart. It's a one. It's another thing to work at Walmart prisons. That's definitely a worse scenario. <laughs> yes. That is the worst. <laughs> but so despite the Walmart the prison problem, private prisons themselves, <laughs> again, they're only 8% of the total incarcerated population. So just getting rid of private prisons isn't going to solve the problem. 
And in fact, the Prison Policy Institute, they shine a spotlight on a bigger private sector problem. And that is the privatized services for the incarcerated. This includes prison food and health services, telecom services, and commissaries. So I know, for example, instead of using Skype, there is a prison-specific version of Skype that costs money Mm. for the incarcerated to use. (laughs) And these are services which were once provided by the state, and now they have to be purchased by the incarcerated and their families instead. Mm. Ah, but who can blame them for trying? The old hide a hacksaw and a Pizza Hut stuffed crust pizza trick is, you know... It's a yeah, classic. I have a feeling Pizza Hut is not offering that service oh, to the incarcerated. I just, yeah. I, I don't think that's going to happen. Hey, Dylan, the only thing wrong with all you said there is there can't be problematic encroachment by the private sector. My libertarian <laughs> oh, friends true. assure me that the government <laughs> always equals bad and private industry always equals yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. So I think you should take that back. This might you be privatize all prisons. You know, that's true. Yeah. Maybe the privatize all the prisons. Yeah. The problem is it's only 8%. Yes. <laughs> Get it to 100 with the Walmart private prison Institute, I think we're going to get there. <laughs> I think we're going to be able to get there. All right, moving on to myth number three, the use of prisoners as slave labor stands in the way of ending mass incarceration. So it actually turns out that only 5,000 prisoners, which is less than 1%, work for private companies through the Federal Prison Industry Enhancement Certification Program, PIECP. So there's actually not a whole lot of work being done by prisoners. I was really surprised by this. Hmm. And it turns out a bigger problem is prison labor inside prisons, Mm. where incarcerated people work in food service, laundry, etc. Yeah, and you haven't really had sushi until you've had it on the inside. Ooh, it's delicious. Oh my god, (laughs) the... the the sushi prison (laughs) chef. He's very good. That is a good day for the rest of those folks in there. On average, these workers make between 86 cents and $3 and 45 cents per day. Wow. In five states, they are paid nothing at all. Yeah. But, you know, the ones that do get paid, you know, that's that's not slave labor. Oh, yeah. I guess that's just and also none of that is as bad as non prison life in North Korea. So I was actually I was actually reading (laughs) once that in North Korea, um, the state would lay off some of its workers and their wives were making money on the black market. And what they would do is then lay people off and then force them to pay the state for being laid off. And they would have to take money. They'd have to take money from their wives making money on the black market in order to do that. That was that was the best. Wow. Yeah. But hey, that's a country run by smart cookies. So Oh yeah. yeah. Smart cookies. Truly a love, a love story. Uh the US North Korea relations. And so again, this use of prison labor, it's another example of shifting prison costs onto prisoners and artificially lowering the cost of running prisons. So it looks like, hey, this is a way to lower budgets for the government. But unfortunately, it's not like nobody's paying. It's not these are it's an artificial lowering where there are people paying for it. It just happens to be the prisoners and their families. You know, maybe someday we can maximize this ideal even more to build prisons out of prisoners. Oh, then it would be real low doing that kind of thing. Yeah. And once you can print prisoners with 3D printers that can themselves print more 3D printers to print more prisons, <laughs> you know, this will I mean, this will just all get that is just too much. Yeah. I don't think I can even begin. I can't even begin to put that in my mind. So myth four: expand community supervision to reduce incarceration. So what is community supervision? That includes probation, parole and pretrial supervision. So one idea is let's have more probation, parole, and pretrial supervision so we can have fewer incarcerated individuals. Hmm. 
The problem though, is that the conditions are so onerous that people are very likely to fail because of how extreme these conditions are. Ah, typical communism. The party wants a billion pounds of rice created this week, but we've been working 24 hours a day and barely have enough to eat for ourselves. Pick it up, slacker. <laughs> God, yeah. And good times. And you know, that that's just communism, but you have and if you want to go full Maoism, for example, <laughs> you also have to export free rice to other communist countries for free during a famine. That's really <laughs> that's how you go all the way. And by the way, that's totally true. Wow. Yes, which is truly terrifying. In 2016, 168,000 people were incarcerated for quote technical violations, i.e not committing new crimes while on parole or probation, but for violating the terms by breaking curfew or being unable to pay the extraordinarily high supervision fees. Uh, there's that damn money thing again, you know? It's always there. Yeah, yeah fucking yeah. money. You can't escape money no matter how much communism you pour on. It's always <laughs> yeah, there. You can't, you just can't do it. And so until community supervision is reformed, it's not yet the solution to mass incarceration. Hmm. And finally, the fifth myth. This is less a myth about what is the solution and more a myth about what isn't a solution. Mm. So the fifth myth is that what isn't a solution to mass incarceration is releasing people who committed violent or sexual crimes. Most attempts to reduce mass incarceration focus on the quote, non, non, nons people who commit nonviolent, non-serious, non-sexual offenses. And you know, and that, that's, I know, and keeping with the modern references, that is not to be confused with the Banamna Rama song that starts with na-na-na-na, na-na-na-na, hey-hey-hey, <laughs> goodbye. So, don't you guys miss Banana Rama? Who can forget their no. 19, what? Who can forget their <laughs> 1984 classic hit, Robert De Niro is Waiting. It's a music video that ironically doesn't feature Robert De Niro at all. And Robert De Niro is, here's the, here's the lyrics. Robert De Niro is waiting, talking Italian. Is, that's how the lyrics go. So <laughs> that fits okay. in perfectly to what we're talking about. Why so I'm really you, glad I brought this into this podcast. You have ruined our podcast with this banana <laughs> Let's start the episode shenanigans. <laughs> this is a very serious topic. Sorry I about don't it, think we need these Robert De Niro songs. But he's waiting. Coming in and ruining the whole thing. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, Brent. I think you got a lot of bad ideas. Got anyway, a lot of bad ideas. Anyway. anyway, sorry about that. Back to horrible things. Back to horrible things. It turns out that rates of recidivism among those convicted of sexual assault and homicide are lower than many other crimes. Granted, that doesn't mean it's absolutely low. After five years, over 50% of people released after committing homicide will reoffend. However, from the statistics presented, it is not clear what crimes they are arrested for. So let's just go with murder. No, yep. not necessarily. Uh, oh. It turns out that it just says that they're arrested again. It doesn't mm. say that they're arrested for murder. And post-release homicide is extremely rare of people arrested within five years after being released for all crimes. Less than 1% are for homicide. Oh, okay, never mind then. Yeah, Brent, I mean, let's be fair here. By re-offend, I'm assuming that they just become alt-right trolls and say offensive things on 4chan. That's <laughs> or right. eight, no, or no, 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 no. Yeah. yeah, they're going on 8chan. they become big Q people. Oh. For those convicted of rape and sexual assault, rates of re-arrest are 30 to 50% lower than those convicted of motor vehicle theft and larceny. And this is all from the 2005 Department of Justice report Recidivism of prisoners released in 30 states in 2005, patterns from 2005 to 2010. And it says that re-arrest rates for those convicted of rape and sexual assault is 60.1% within five years, 
while it is 84.1% for those convicted of larceny or motor vehicle theft. So where did those numbers land on, say, Segway theft? Mm, let me check. Oh, those numbers are not available because no one cares. Okay, okay. Who cares <laughs> about right. that? Fair enough. How about how many buggy theft cases are we looking into? That's like, you know, were, were the Amish figured I, into these statistics? No? I don't think so because it was, uh, they were all telephone. They were telephone uh, surveys. Okay. And so, you know, they can't answer. Yeah, them. they don't exist really. So despite the, the main point that the Prison Policy Institute makes here is that despite these lower rates of recidivism, those convicted of violent crime face decades of incarceration. Those convicted of sexual offenses often face indefinite civil commitment after release or placed on sex offender registries, which is what we talked about earlier in the episode. Yeah, and that way you know what to get them from Amazon or Bed Bath & Beyond. They're on the registry. Oh, get it? Oh, sorry. All right. Yeah. That's a different type yeah, of registry. Yeah, yeah. It's that's not... Yeah, I don't think that's what they're talking about here. Okay. Sorry about it. Brent. I'm off. Overall, about 900,000 of those incarcerated are there because of violent crime, including sexual crimes, or just under 40%. So it's a large chunk of this pool. Um, and so I think the Prison Policy Institute is trying to argue here that any real solution to mass incarceration is going to require taking another look at the sentences for those committed of violent and sexual crimes. Yeah, right, Dylan. You just want murderers and rapists roaming free. I see. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I, you got me. <laughs> That's what it boils down to. So those are the five myths. So in order to understand exactly how these myths work and what they amount to, we need to look at the offense categories that we've been talking about. Like, how do we figure well, out what offense someone is uh, incarcerated for? No, what it really means, Dylan, is that your highly nuanced and objective reporting on these facts doesn't square with my oversimplified left-wing talking points mm -hmm. ideology. Mm -hmm. And I therefore refuse to believe any of this. Okay. Oh, Free good, the druggies good. and ban private prisons and everything will be fine. Don't you know oh, that? Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Or better yet, give private prisons free drugs and see where the numbers land then. Just see what happens. <laughs> Shake it up. Even better. <laughs> That is that the person. No those are the things I do not want being given free drugs. Yes, I think they'll get all sorts of crazy ideas. <laughs> the report makes clear two important problems. One, the incarcerated are only placed into one category. And two, the category has to do with their interaction with the legal system. Regarding the first, only the most serious crime is reported. So if I'm convicted of a drug possession and assault, I am reported as being a violent offender. This can mask how, for example, drugs are involved in violent crime and property crime. Maybe I kicked down the door because I was high on PCP, but this kind of interaction is hidden when I am labeled simply a violent offender. Hmm. Welly, well, 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 Droogie Dylan. <laughs> Dost thou govrate the old Malaco Plus did lock influence your humble narrator to tolchock old Billy Bo in the yobbles? <laughs> um, I don't know what that means, but I'm just going to say absolutely. <laughs> okay, very good. Always accept. In the opposite direction... Almost all convictions are from plea bargains, where someone pleads guilty to a lesser charge. What is reported is that lesser charge. So if I'm charged with homicide, but plead guilty to assault for a lesser sentence, I am reported as an assault offender. Well, thanks for finally coming clean, Dylan. That's not... You're welcome. You're welcome. I wanted it, everyone but... to know if, you, you know, if you look at my record, I want people to have a full, clear understanding... Of my criminal record. There's nothing wrong with that. That's why Dylan, that's why Dylan's doing this whole thing because <laughs> after he commits all his crimes, <laughs> whether whether it's under drugs or violent crime, it's like he's got all his bases covered. You gotta release a little bit of everybody. That's exactly right. I'm actually late for my probation hearing. <laughs> um, and so I gotta get into that as soon as possible. <laughs> 
Nice. nice. There's also a problem within categories, especially for violent crimes. So while murder is a serious charge, there's an important difference between, say, Jeffrey Dahmer and someone who is unlikely to commit murder again, either because they are old or because the murder they committed was situational. And this situation calls for murder. Ooh. There's also the problem of so-called felony murder. And a felony murder is if someone dies during the commission of a felony, everyone involved could be charged with murder, even someone like a getaway driver, for example. Unless, of course, he is a baby driver. Then you can expect a kick-ass soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. No, but Baby Driver is still going to jail for murder. That's the way this all works. Okay, got it. There's a particularly egregious case of this, and this is of Ryan Hall. He lent his friends his car, and it was for the explicit purpose of stealing drugs and beating someone up. That's why they asked him for his car so he could do that. That's Mm -hmm. what he said. Mm -hmm. During the burglary, one of the assailants killed the woman's daughter, Jessica Snyder. Ryan Hall himself was convicted of murder, because he lent the men the car knowing it would be used to commit a felony. Now, he originally was convicted of a life sentence, and that's been commuted to 25 years. The moral of the story is, if you're thinking of assisting a robbery that could result in a murder, do it yourself instead, so at least your potential murder charge is well-deserved. That's true. Yeah, this is great. I (laughs) love the incentives. I love the incentives going on here. They're not perverse at all. No, not at all. In another perverse twist, the homeowner... Christine Snyder herself went to jail for three years for marijuana possession. You know, I wish I could find more information about this, but I just found that fact. Yeah. And like in a situation like this, you don't need medical marijuana doctor, but rather a marijuana priest. You need to get that Mm. pot demon out of you. The power of chronic compels you. The power of chronic compels you. The power of chronic compels you. (laughs) Your mother tokes bongs in hell, Karis. (laughs) <laughs> oh. oh my god that is a great service that this is. is a great service this is marijuana priest i mean in rehabs they there's all sorts of wacky addiction treatments in rehabs they've got the equine therapy where apparently hanging out with a horse is going to make you want to <laughs> kick drugs and you know we'll just if have the Red, marijuana maybe. priest yeah. that'll be the next yeah it could be mr ed i mean <laughs> given his given larouche's disdain for marijuana <laughs> mr ed definitely wasn't having any of that <laughs> And now this felony murder, I can get it in certain situations. You know, if I let my car to you knowing you were going to commit assault and knowing that both of you, the co-hosts of this podcast, are ruthless killers, mm. then this makes sense. But surely it shouldn't apply to all cases, like especially when the death is accidental, I think. And just one more thing for the record, me and Forrest are not ruthless killers. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm a fair and empathetic. Killer. Oh, well, that's nice. That's a good thing. And so those are the five myths of mass incarceration. And that's it. We had a nice short episode today for all of you. So Forrest, Brent, what did you think about this topic? What did you learn? The main one that stood out to me was the whole nonviolent drug offenders. That was the one that I definitely, the myth that I definitely believed in. I would say, you know, even probably somewhat recently. Um, Yeah. That was interesting. The private prison one was really um, it, it just seems like it's, you know, it's much more complex than people make it out to be. And it's, it it's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's strange how that works. It's <laughs> yeah. really crazy. But yeah. yeah, that's my that's that's the one that really, um, you know, sort of like informed me the most. What about you, cool. Forrest? Yeah, no, I don't have much more to add to that. I was going to say the same thing. How many people are in jail because of nonviolent drug offenses? I always thought that was like the biggest reason why mm-hmm. we had yeah. such 
a large incarceration rate. And I didn't realize that it actually wasn't as significant as I thought. What about you, Dylan? I think so. The same, the two things you mentioned, I think those were the biggest misconceptions for me that I've believed at some point, again, maybe in the, even just, you know, up until recently, I think the, besides those things, the, what surprised me was youth who are incarcerated for not committing crimes. That blew me away. I didn't realize. That's true. Yeah. You could be incarcerated for truancy. I think also the indefinite civil commitment after a prison sentence. That's something else I didn't realize happened where you can go to jail for an offense, be released, but then have to go right back into a psychiatric facility. That seems Mm. if they feel you need to be in a psychiatric facility, it seems like you should be there from the beginning. Right. That just makes sense to me. I would like to learn more about that in the future. But these are all mostly myths, you know, about misconceptions of mass incarceration so how do we solve mass incarceration that's easy how do we solve it <laughs> yeah that, that's, that's what this podcast is about dylan we're supposed to solve these yeah every episode we solve the problem and then we move on we certainly solved the book of revelations that was definitely shut down right when we got done. that's true we did <laughs> so one thing i should note i've been calling them the prison policy institute it's actually the prison policy initiative so oh. I apologize oh, about sh- that. You also screwed up PNAC, so that's understandable. It's just, it's terrible. I don't know what I'm doing. But they have a few things to recommend at the end of this report. And again, these are kind of going over what we've already said uh, regarding these myths. So, for example, ending money bail mm. so that people are not incarcerated merely for being unable to pay bail, which is fairly common. Yeah, I can see that. Makes sense. Being more open to looking at violent and sexual crimes as Mm. targets for policy, uh, for ending mass incarceration. Hey, Dylan, let me me ask you something real quick, because I know that, I believe it, it, so I'm total ignorant dilettante when it comes to (laughs) this subject, but if if I remember correctly, isn't it per capita, the United States, incarcerates more people than like any other country we're pretty we're at least we're in like the top three i know saudi arabia and china i believe are near the top of the list but i think you're right well i was under the understanding i was saying per capita because obviously more people are in prison in china but that's just because they have a much larger population population. but they're also they're also high per capita too as well okay okay so i guess what i was trying to get at though was if one of the biggest issues would be we need to release more violent crime offenders. Wouldn't that, like, is there something about the United States where we're just much more prone to having violent crime than these other countries that have really low incarceration rates? I mean, it, it very well could be. I'm um, sure it's tied to sure. guns, and right? Isn't there some tied to how many weapons we have compared to other countries? Like firearm? I, I imagine that's playing yeah. some kind of role. I mean, I think it's also another aspect of this is to also figure out why people are committing these offenses in the first place. I mean, mm-hmm. so one thing that the prison policy initiative talks about is spending on social programs, for example, mm-hmm. and poverty and the role poverty plays and the role racial justice plays here is a big component to making sure people don't commit some of these crimes in the first place. Yep. Uh, so fewer people are entering jail gates. Yeah, that's what I was going to say was maybe rather than let's release more violent offenders. Maybe it should be, let's try to prevent more violent offenders. Yeah, no, definitely. I think for, I mean, in this report, I think they were specifically focusing on with the violent offenders in particular. I mean, there's some that are very old 
that are, you know, yeah. who maybe committed a crime when they were 20 and now are 70, 80 and right. who almost certainly are not going to commit a crime again. There's also crimes of passion, crimes that are very situational where you probably won't assault or murder someone else. You know, again, but I, yeah, I agree that probably I think it's more about looking at the whole pie instead of just trying to find one slice of it yeah. that we can cut out totally. Yeah. I, w I wonder, too, because I think that our system is a little more, I guess, vindictive than some other systems. A lot of other systems have a very consequentialist view of, yeah, like what you were saying, this guy's not going to commit another crime or he's very unlikely to, so we'll, you know, release him. Mm -hmm. But I, I've noticed in the United States, we have more of an attitude. No, no, they're being punished. They're bad. They just deserve it. Fuck right. them. You know, that seems to be... Yeah, a definitely. Very standard attitude we have here. And that to me is kind of the main, one of the main ways to get people to think about this is to change attitudes towards people who are incarcerated. And I think it's very common for people to see them as in some way subhuman or as in some way, you know, just fatally flawed individuals, which well, just. In, was it in Florida that the now case? they can vote? Is it in Florida that they passed the bill that now like yes. people that were incarcerated, yeah. which is really good. Yeah. Yeah. That's something yeah. that's over a million people, if I'm not mistaken, right. in Florida will be able to vote in the next election. So that's great. That's great. Yeah. But yeah. So I would highly recommend going. So this is prisonpolicy.org is the uh, website for the prison policy initiative. And this is where you can find a link to the report that we've been discussing here. And it's funny, though, because then there is going in the other direction, which is pretty extreme, because I'm pretty sure... Wasn't his name Anders Breivik, who is the crazy crusader, far right uh, mass murderer? Do you remember him? Yeah. And I think uh, he got 18 years. Yeah. It's like, in the, and he's not remorseful. And he complains that mm -hmm. he has to play PlayStation 2 instead of PlayStation 3 or something <laughs> like. Yeah. That's his, yeah. And, and it's like, dude, it, if he's only there for that long and he's not remorseful. Yeah. And he's complaining about his tough prison life because he doesn't get the right PlayStation games. Like. Yeah. To me, that's it's the opposite, you know, the opposite direction of uh, extreme. Yeah. That's a problem, you know. So I think you want There's to find also, that, that balance where yeah, non remorseful yeah. psychos don't let them out. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I guess the more remorseful yeah. you are, the more unlikely you are to commit another crime. Like, and again, crimes of passion. You right. Know, totally this separate. guy was super wasted and he found out his girlfriend cheated on him and they killed some guy because of it or something. He, you know, it's not good, but it's not like, you know, that he when he's 90, he's going to do it again. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I mean, to be completely honest, I have I have no idea what the solution to this is. It's just I, it's it's so complex. I would think that you'd want to look at the causes for these crimes and try to reduce that. I think that seems to be the best way to go, but I don't know. And of course, prevention, like you said earlier, like if we could just change the way we treat people that are poor and I don't know, give them more advantages. Oh. And I will say, though, oh, I'm uh, still complete. I would say I'm still completely against privatized prison period because that's just a horrible <laughs> incentive system. Yeah, it seems yeah. the wrong. And path. I think and even in this report, they they mention how private prisons can lobby for more onerous sentencing guidelines and things like that. And it's not a positive influence on mass incarceration. No, they're merely saying that it's not like sh if we shut down every private prison tomorrow. Right. This is still a problem. Oh, yeah. No, I, yeah, no. But you're definitely right that, yeah, it's still despicable. I would say, still though, even 8%, I think it was, that's still, I think, too high. Yeah. <laughs>
And for me, the, the, the money bail thing is just yeah, disgusting. I agree. It's supposed to be a basic fact that everyone is treated the same under the law. And yet people who have less money are treated differently than right. people who have more money. Yep. And that just to me is yeah. despicable. And when small government conservatives don't talk about these issues, mm-hmm. it drives me up a wall. Like the most immediate way big government affects individuals and it's almost never talked about. Uh, and it just really yeah. grinds my gears. Well, I, I that's one thing I've always found pretty funny about uh, a lot of conservatives is that the government they like is big military and big police and big prisons. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. that's, that's the most oppressive <laughs> so form big. of the state there yeah. is. That's the funniest yeah. part about it. Anyway, so to end here, I would go to prisonpolicy.org and check out their fine work of the prison policy initiative. Yeah, don't get confused and go to Prison Planet. Yeah, yeah do not no, don't go to Prison Planet. Yeah, no. <laughs> that is the opposite of truth that you'll find totally there. Opposite. And with that, we are done with this episode. And so just to reiterate some things we started with, you can go to our website, nonedarecallitordinary.com, where you'll find links to subscribe to the podcast, as well as links to our previous episodes, as well as the sources we use for each episode. And you can find us on social media, at NDCIO on Twitter and at none dare call it ordinary on Instagram. You can also communicate with us via email, none dare call it ordinary at gmail.com. And with that, we are, are doomed. doomed.